Let me read this section for us. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart guard my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let loving kindness and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good insight in the eyes of God and men. Verse 5 and 6 will be the main text for us today. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor Yahweh from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, and your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will burst with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of Yahweh or loathe his reproof. For whom Yahweh loves, he reproves, even as a father reproves the son in whom he delights. Amen. As I've indicated, for a few weeks in January, I am taking a break from the Philippians and bringing you my meditations from the early chapters of my personal reading of the Bible. When you engage in month or year-long exposition of a certain book, you are locked into it. If we have Friday service or Wednesday service or Sunday evening service, then I could diversify my teaching and preaching, but we do not have those. So at least for January, I don't know, probably February too, I would just bring some of the other parts from the Bible to encourage you to take up your reading. And you cannot skip on your personal reading and meditation of God's Word. So a few uh, days ago, weeks ago, I was reading Proverbs chapter 3. And Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, arguably, I think, would be the most famous saying in the Proverbs. If you have read Proverbs, you know these verses. I trust that you know these verses. My first time seeing this was on a calendar, like church calendar. It was on the bottom of it. And I remember I was a young kid, and I was reading it, and I said, well, that's a good saying. I did not know what it was, but that was my first encounter. There's something about these verses, a couple of verses, that is sweet. It does not force you, but it somehow melts our own hearts. It opens up our hearts for that Yearning, I want to trust in God with all my heart. I want my path to be straight, like 
the aroma of Christ. It's, it draws us near to this text. There's something about these two verses that is so sweet. So as I was highlighting these verses in my own reading, I thought to myself, I need to preach this. Why? Because this is one of those verses, when you read it, you understand what it means. You understand it clearly what it means. But if I ask you, what does that mean? How do you trust in the Lord with all your heart? What do you mean, not lean on your own understanding? Acknowledge Him. What does that, how do you do that? And God will make my path straight. So it's one of those verses that you, by intuition, know exactly what it means, but it is hard to express it with your own words. And when you cannot do that, you know you will not be applying this truth. It has to be clear in your own head. You need to understand what it means. And you should be able to teach this to someone else, to your children. Then you know what it means. Then you will be able to apply these words. But it is very difficult. So I said to myself, I need to know this for my own sake. And we all need to know how we could apply these two verses in our own lives. And this is what we will do today. So I was looking at these verses and I couldn't crack it. So before I turn to the commentary or to the Google, what does it mean to trust in Yahweh? I simply did what I will always do. I will read from verse 1 to see if there is any context. Our idea of Proverbs is like grapes, clusters of these grapes, that you could take it from any thing, but it would taste the same. Proverbs is basically saying the same thing in different ways. But there is a context for this text. Would you look at verse 1? And I'm going to read verse 3 as well. That's the context. And as soon as I understood that there is a context for these verses, verse 5 and 6, it just opened up a new horizon for us, for me. Look at verse 1. My son, there's a relationship. This is God speaking to us. My son, first thing he says is, Do not forget my Torah, the law. But let your heart... Guard my mitzvah. You know, by mitzvah, that's mitzvah, commandments. So, um, the very first verse is, My son, do not forget my commandments, my law, and let your heart guard my commandments. It begins with, for us, God's word. Do not forget God's word, my word. Let your heart guard my Word. That's where you begin. And look at verse 3. Skip verse 2 for now. Look at verse 3. Do not let loving kindness or steadfast love has said, do not let loving kindness, usually it is attributed to God's loving kindness, and truth forsake you. And I do believe they are referring to God's loving kindness and God's truth. 
Do not let those forsake you. And what do you have to do? It's a commandment. Bind them around your neck. What? God's loving kindness and truth. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So, Before we could obey verse 5 and 6, Proverbs 3 is calling you to be a man and woman of God who do not forget God's word and guard it in your own heart. Not only that, verse 3 is the application of verse 1. Bind them around your neck, and you will not bind something around your neck that you are not proud of. Something that you think is not beautiful, you will not put it around. So this is kind of a man or woman who will live out the Word of God proudly. I'm a proud Christian in a good way. I obey His Word. And write them on the tablet of your heart. That's your responsibility. So do not forget. Let your heart guard. Do not let it forsake you. Bind them. Write them. And that's where verse 5 and 6 are located and situated. Matthew Henry 1662, 1714, probably you have heard about him. His father's a Puritan minister. He himself is a Puritan. He wrote the entire uh, commentary on the entire Bible. And he's the, really the king of devotional meditation. I do not use him often, but especially in Proverbs, I mean, he was very helpful. The way in which he divided this section, chapter 3, up to verse 12, in three headings. First, he says, precepts promises, and providence. So it is correct for me to see that verse 1 and verse 3 is the context of verse 5 and 6. Precepts. And Matthew Henry says, this section is calling us in this way. We are here taught to live a life of communion with God. For us to do that, he says four things regarding precepts. First, we must fix God's law and his commandments as our rule, by which we will, il- we will in everything be ruled and to which we will yield obedience. Number two, we must acquaint ourselves with them. With what? With the word of God, commandments of God. Number three, we must remember them so that they may be ready to us whenever we have occasion to use them. And finally, our wills and affections must be subject to them and must in everything conform to them. So in order for us to trust in Yahweh with all of our hearts, you cannot do that unless you go back and you do not forget God's law. You guard God's commandments in your heart. Bind them around your neck. Write them on your own hearts. If you do not have that, if you do not do that, then 
there really is no way you could trust in God with all your heart. You know, years ago when I was, when I had a young man in my church, he was a fit man. He, he walked out and he was one of those guys, he knew what he was doing. And in our fellowship time, you know, early January, what do we do? We always talk about losing weight. So I remember we were talking with a bunch of guys and girls in the church and eating together. And one of the ladies, you know, she said, you know, I need to lose weight. And he was minding his own business. He was eating his thing. And he turned to everybody and he said, you know, diet, losing weight is a lifestyle. You don't do that for a week or month, but it is life, unless your lifestyle changes, you will never lose weight. And we knew what he was talking about. It's like that. Verse 5 and 6 is a lifestyle. It's not a one-time thing that you decide to do when you're going through a tough time. And you make a deal with God. I want my path to be straight. I want success. I want to get in. I want my promotion. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to trust you at this time. But if you read from verse 1 and following, that's not what this is talking about. It's calling for a lifestyle. Consistent lifestyle of studying and meditating God's Word and applying it throughout your life every day. And there will be success and failure up and down in your life as you try to do that. But at the end of the day, you will be familiar with God's Word. You will know this God of your salvation. And you are familiar with Him. And number 5, verse 5 and 6 will be a natural extension of your daily life. Relying on God's Word. Seeking God's wisdom. Try to live it out as much as you can by faith and courage. With through ups and downs, and verse 5 is a uh, culmination of all of that prerequisite of verse 1 and verse 3. To the degree that you have been faithful in communing with God, in the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, for the glory of God, you will be able to do verse 5 and 6. That kind of relationship, that desire comes from regeneration, as we've been talking about. God has to call you. God has to change your heart of stone into heart of flesh. And you have to be born again Christian to have the desire to verse 1, to do verse 1 and verse 3. In a natural state, natural men will not do that. People will laugh at that. So you need to come to Christ. But when you do that, you grow into verse 5 and 6. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. How? How? By doing that every day in communion with God through His Word. If you do not have God's word, how can you trust God? He is unseen. If you do not have his promise, how can you go on? What can you pray but for your own 
life success, right? So you need to pack yourself with the word of God consistently. And second half of verse 5 says, Do not lean on your own understanding. And if you have verse 1 and 3 as a context, this makes sense. As your heart is saturated with the word of God, you will not be able to lean on your own understanding because you wouldn't. You can't. Because there's a better wisdom from God. So your disposition and will and instinct will not allow you to lean on your understanding. It's very difficult to explain what that means, but you know what it means when you have God's word in yourself. The fine distinction between leaning on your own wisdom or in God's wisdom. It has to be trained and you have to practice it. So that's the first part. Now, if you look at verse 4, look at verse 4 quickly. So you will find favor and good insight in the eyes of God and man. And immediately you are thinking about Luke 2. Because this verse was applied to Christ in this way. Luke 2, 52. Jesus was advancing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Even sinless God-man Jesus had to grow in wisdom and stature, in favor with men and God. We are encouraged to see that. And if you think verse 5 and 6 is too much, that's too high. Well, good news is that Christ grew into it as well. And you could take a baby step for you to grow into it. I know many of you do that. I do that as well. Each day, you read a chapter. You forget, skip it. Next day, read that chapter. You begin slowly. And if you're young, let's say teenager, and you want to, you want to grow in wisdom of God, begin like that. Take a baby step. But all in all, even as we try to obey, trust in Yahweh with all your heart, because Christ is the wisdom from God, what we are really doing is we are embracing Christ. We are looking at Christ who trusted in Yahweh with all his heart, who acknowledged him all of his ways. So do not separate wisdom literature from Christ. Christ is the wisdom of God, from God. So embrace Christ. Pray to Christ. God, help me. Help me. Now, let's move on to the next one, is this. When you, if you have this open up before you, you will notice there is commandment and there is reward. It is a pair. It's a paired up with commandment and there's a reward. Look at it. Look at, let's read this. Look at verse 1. There's that command. Commandment. Look at verse 2. Why? For. There's reason. You do that. Why? Because length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. If you do this, there's a reward. Look at verse 4. So, you will find favor and good insight in the eyes of God and man. If you obey verse 3, verse 4 is the reward. Look at verse 6. 
Second half, and he will make your path straight. Verse 8, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Look at verse 10. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will burst with new wine. Verse 12, for whom Yahweh loves, he reproves even as a father reproves the son in whom he delights. Something strange. Have you noticed? As I've noticed in my own reading, my eyes will go to those commandments. But whenever I encounter that promise of God, the things that we have read, I will skip over it. That's what I've noticed. Why? Because, I mean, when God says, trust in the Lord, in Yahweh, with all your heart, He is talking about this spiritual height. With all your heart, trust. But the reward is your path will be straight. We are good Christians and we are suspecting whether this is really true or not because we are so warned against prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel is the false gospel that really equates faith and strength and amount of faith and giving to the financial success and health and wealth and everything else. But as you have noticed, all these promises sound, they sound a lot like, really, prosperity gospel. Really. You give. You honor God with your first produce. Your barns will be filled. I actually printed that out for our offering section. And you have to do a good theology at this time. I mean, this is God's word, right? And you cannot pick those commandments only and forget about the rewards that God promised. He's the saying, the same thing. You do this, our reward. You do this, our reward. But we are saying, oh man, that's, that's embarrassing. All these promises, when you look at it, there's a spiritual command, but the reward is so earthly and fleshly. Everything will be good. Your bones will be healed. I mean... <laughs> What are we supposed to do? Forget about the second half and just try to be puritanic, obedience-only kind of guys, Presbyterians? But really, I thought it was really, I don't know, it was embarrassing. I will give you just a few um, theologians talking about this. Kyle, German guy. From God alone comes true prosperity, true help. He knows the right way to the right ends. He knows what benefits us. He's able to free us from that which does us harm. Therefore, it is our duty and our safety to place our confidence wholly in Him and trust not to our own judgment. So, the, this good guy, he approves it. This, this really is not prosperity gospel. What about Bruce Walkey? He says in this text, human partner has the responsibility to keep ethics and piety and the divine partner the obligation to bless his worshiper with peace, prosperity, and longevity. As I was thinking about that, a passage came to my mind from Calvin's Institute. It took me a long time to find it. 
But somewhere in his book, book 2, 5, paragraph 10, he talks about how his favorite word in describing Christian life, our weakness is sluggishness. He says it all the time. We are so sluggish in our obedience. And he says it. John Calvin says it in this way, probably not referring to this passage, but the way God speaks. When God, listen to this, and all these quotations that I kind of give in the sermon, I put it up in our website, in our blog, so you could go back and read it in full uh, word-for-word paragraph. When God, by his precepts, that's commandments like this, when by his precepts teaches us concerning his will, right? We read this and we understand what God's will is. He apprises us of our misery and how wholeheartedly we disagree with his will. We know we should, but we don't want to. That's what he's saying. So at the same time, he prompts us to call upon his spirit to direct us into the right path. But because our sluggishness is not sufficiently aroused by precepts, that's the commandments, promises are added in order by a certain sweetness to entice us to love the precepts. You see what he's saying? The reason why these promises are given is because our natural state rejects God's commandments. That's how weak and miserable we are. So God, to encourage you to walk in the path of righteousness, God is adding unto the precepts, that's the commandments, God is adding promises to make it sweet, to entice us. And he, he repeats that term often. We are sluggish, but God entices us to obey him. So all in all, I will take those promises in a measured way. I will not be ashamed of God's own promises. I will not abuse it. I will not bypass the commands. And I will not go after gifts while ignoring the giver. But with a childlike humility, I will trust and expect God to fulfill his promises to us. That's me. That's what I'm speaking. I will not abuse those statements, but I will trust and expect God to fulfill those good promises for us. And there's no shame in it. You do not have to feel guilty when you invoke those promises that God has given you. Now, with all of that, I'm going to give the interpretation of verse 5 and 6. Look at verse 5 again. If you understood the context and all that we've been saying, verse 5 says, Trust in Yahweh with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. Makes sense. One commentator says this, Therefore, each admonition charges the son to give up a self-centered fantasy 
and replace it with a God-centered reality. I like those terms. Self-centered fantasy. It is a fantasy for us to assume somehow the world revolves around us, but replace it with God-centered reality. So verse 5, once again, is not a one-time transaction or deal that you make with God to get something that is very important for your life. But you have to start today, every day. You trust in small things. You trust in, in a small measure, and you grow. And when the big thing comes your way, because you've been practicing, you will be able to trust in the Lord with all your heart and you will not lean on your own understanding. Look at verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. In all your ways acknowledge Him in what way? Charles Bridges was also helpful. Geneva Commentary, Charles Bridges, and I'm going to actually read this section for you because he really spelled it out in a practical term. How can we acknowledge him in all our ways? Listen to his explanations, and I think this really is good and sufficient for us to apply. In all your ways, acknowledge him means take one step at a time. Every step on the divine warrant and direction. Plan for yourself in simple dependence on God. It is nothing less than self-idolatry to conceive that we can carry on even the ordinary matters of the day without His counsel. And I love what he says here. He loves to be consulted. Be in the habit of going to Him in the first place. That's obviously prayer. Before self-will, self-pleasing, self-wisdom, human friends, convenience, expediency. Before any of these have been consulted, go to God at once. Consider no circumstances too clear to need His direction. In all thy ways, small as well as great. Isn't that a nice way, practical way of explaining that verse? Regarding, he will make your path straight. You need this, and he says this. We want no new revelations or visible tokens. Study the word with prayer. Mark the divine spirit shedding light upon it. Compare it with the observation of the providences of the day, that is daily, apply and see. But pondering with sober, practical, and reverential faith. And in order for us to follow his path, he says this, let the will, your will, be kept in a quiet, subdued, cheerful readiness to move, stay, retreat, turn to the right or to the left at the Lord's bidding. 
always remembering that is best, which is least our own doing, that a pliable spirit ever secures the needful guidance. I think that's a very wise saying. Oftentimes we pray, and when we pray, we know what we want. We want path A. But when you are stubborn like that, how can God direct you to his path? How can God make his, uh, your path straight before you unless you, you are willing to change the course? So for, for you to do that, keep your will ready to obey as God shows the best way for you. So this verse 5 and verse 6, they are calling for a life of worship. Life of meditation, life of submission, willing to change the course, willing to change your opinion, willing to go to a new route. It also calls for a life of prayer, asking his advice, and by faith, acting it, and compare it daily, whether you are successful or not, and that lifestyle is what is calling for. Look at verse 5 and 6 again. I'm going to read it again and we'll end. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. We don't want anything less than this, and we can't afford to live any other way. We have one life, and we have one purpose, that is to glorify God and to enjoy Him. And may you, by the grace of God, go through this path, and may God make your path, our church's path, straight for His glory this year. Let's pray.